When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and I'm cursed with knowing too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. With me, as always, via Zoom video chat, someone who really interprets it as a curse, her connection to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's the skeptic herself, Kristen Stuttered. Hey, Kristen. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it's funny that you called it a curse, that you like sought out all of this A curse that I like and love? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, oh, I'm just cursed with all this information that I really seek out and love having. Meanwhile, I truly have been cursed, but blessed as well by this show. Oh, that's a that's an oddly sweet moment up top. I mean, I like getting to see, I like getting to see you every week and I like talking about music. I like our fans. I don't care about the rock hall still. <laughs> it's a bit of a monkey's paw situation. Well, I'm very excited to have our guests with us here today. We have a return guest. You might know him as the frequent special advisor to the Rock Hall induction ceremonies, sometimes referred to as a show consultant, this year referred to as a talent executive in the credits. He's, he's also a member of the nominating committee. It's Rick Krim. Hey, Rick, thanks for coming back. Glad to be back. And thanks for noticing my rise through the ranks. So you know, talent executive? Wait, what was it? Talent consultant? Talent executive this year. Thank Joel Gowan for that title. He gave that. He anointed me with the title. The truth well, is, I, I know nobody told me about a different title that you'd want. So anyway. Well, wait, wait a second. Who's that talking? That's right. It's the uh, producer and director of this year's induction ceremony. Uh, has in, has directed and produced many induction ceremonies. Uh, nearly all of them up until 2014. He made his triumphant return for the 2020. It's Joel Gallen. Hey, Joel. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry I jumped the gun before my introduction. <laughs> People, I just don't want our all listeners right. to be confused. Who, who is that voice? We're, we're very excited to have you both here. It feels like with our podcast, we have been covering the 2020 ceremony because of the delays uh, for an eternity. And I, it feels it just feels like so long since when the nominees were announced, and then we've really stretched it out. But I think we're finally coming to a close here on this uh, induction process, and I, I can't think of a better way to do it than the people who made the induction. So I want to start with, you know, our audience knows Rick, but Joel, you're new to the show. So I'm curious if you can even remember, because it's been a long time, how you first got involved with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It was back in 1993. Um, I was uh, actually leaving MTV. I had been at MTV for about 40 years. And a lot of the MTV people that I worked with were on the board. Tom Freston, and Judy McGrath, to name two. And they um, said they were looking for a new producer, because up to that time, the Hall of Fame was sort of 
produced very down and dirty. Well, it still was even after I took it over for many years, but we elevated it a little bit, but it was very sort of produced by a sort of a tour, a production, a tour production manager, not really a TV person. And they really did it just for archival purposes. And they wanted to try to elevate it now and get it ready for TV. So they brought me in to meet with Jan Wenner and I think Seymour Stein might've been there and a, and a handful of others along with Tom Preston and Judy McGrath and asked my thoughts on it. And the first show that uh, I was being interviewed for was the first show ever that was gonna be in Los Angeles, which is where I had just moved to. So it made a little sense. 1993 ceremony was in Los Angeles. And um, yeah, so that's basically it. You know, I, I talked, I said whatever I said and somehow they, they liked what I had to say and, uh, and they asked me to do it. And I ended up doing I think five shows in a row from 93 to 97. And 97 shows, I recall, was about, uh, came in a little bit over budget, say in, in a show that had to be very tightly budgeted. And that may have played a part in why I didn't get asked back in 1998 mm -hmm. or 99 or 2000 or 2001 or 2002. And then I got a call from Jan Wenner in 2003 saying, I don't know why you haven't been doing the show, but we'd like you to, come back and uh, that's when I, I started a, I guess, 12 year run from 2003 to 2014. No comment on why I didn't do it after that. Sure. And then I'm Fair. back <laughs> Then I'm back on 2000, in 2020. That's sort of the, the timelines. I have a few questions. Sure. Um, so 1994 was the first ceremony that 93. you produced? 93. 93. Okay, 93. so 93. And then prior to that, you had been at MTV as a producer, yeah? Yeah, I was an executive producer. I, I produced some of their big events, but I was really also an executive producer over some of their smaller shows and some of their series and things like that. That's where I met Rick uh, from 89 to uh, very early in 93. And then in 93, you t you did the first haul. Did, was it televised or it was just a live event? Just archival. We just filmed it for archival purposes. That was the way it was for my first two shows, 93 and 94 were never televised. 95 was the first year that was televised. Joe. Yes. Who was inducted in 93? 93 was Cream and Creedence See, Clearwater Revival. This is insane. Uh, Van Morrison. Uh, and th th that's all different um, phases of showing up and playing along. Like Cream reunited and played. The Creedence Clearwater Revival induction was very contentious. And they were all there, but Fogarty didn't play with the rest of them. He played with like Bruce and Robbie Robertson, and then Van Morrison didn't even show up. Wow, it's almost as if you produced the show. You know more about it than I do. <laughs> yeah, you know, we had we had the the world premiere of the Counting Crows uh, Wait, doing. The, what tribute. do you mean the world premiere? Like because nobody knew who they were. Their record wasn't even out yet, and we had um, Adam and I think his guitar player, just the two of them, do a little Van Morrison tribute because Adam's voice sounds so much like Van Morrison. That was Robbie Robertson's idea. Robbie was actually inducting Van, but even though they were buddies, he couldn't get Van to show up to his own induction. Uh, so we, so Robbie still did uh, the speech uh, and then introduced the Counting Crows literally a month or two before their debut record came out. But, but, but truthfully, it was a, a pretty amazing show to start my sort of journey with the Rock and Roll Fame because we also had Eddie Vedder inducting the Doors, uh, which was amazing. And Eddie, of course, uh, fronted the Doors and and played with them, and we had Etta James uh, inducted that year, and Ruth Brown inducted that year, and uh, yeah, a producer named Milt Gabler was uh, inducted by his nephew, Billy Crystal. I think Billy Crystal might have been the first non-musical artist to do an induction. 
really yes setting the the pace for chris rock uh david letterman and a handful of others Howard yeah. Stern, yeah yeah not too many this year charlie's theron so there's there's, there's has, still hasn't been that i don't think I, I still think we're in single digits of non-music presenters but uh they're creeping up there yeah well you know i Kristen, i don't know if that you will necessarily remember this but uh you'll remember one detail of this probably not which is that my rock hall obsession goes back pretty deep into my childhood and i actually still have taped from tv these vhs's of the 2002 and the 2003 ceremonies and we oh, watched them you only have half of one of them right right i like tape it was the, interrupted by the simpsons, the simpsons. <laughs> i have the simpsons taped over half of it anyway though when we were watching it and we and we talked about this on this podcast there is a definite and noticeable jump in production value from 2002 to 2003 you definitely watch and you're like oh this is like this is way better. Someone, someone cares again. It's that Joel Gallon touch. Joel did Gallen I say touch, that? Baby. <laughs> For real. That's great to hear. That's very nice. I'm sure I probably did note the production. I'm sure if we did. There was a jump in production value. I'm sure I talked about it. Rick, when did you join the fray? Um, did, did you get official? When did your titles? So did your titles come and go as VH1 was involved or I not? Don't remember because I. When VH1 had the show, I was the VH1 liaison. And like I said, when it went to Fuse, I just continued to work on it. So I just sort of evolved into this position because I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't go away. I, mean, I, didn't I didn't join the nominating committee, I think, till 2008. But I was definitely involved with the show before that. So ever since it run on VH1, I've had a different role. But it's gone. It feels like it's grown uh, every year. And this year being a very different year. Um, been grown further because we kind of had to book the show twice. Yeah, yeah. I would. I mean, I, I'm sure that we're about, about to that. get into that right now. Yeah. yeah. So because well, we had talked to you, Rick, about like you know what the plans for the sh for the induction were and like how it was all going to go and yeah, what, you know, what month? Off... Did, I remember what month did we do that? That had to have been February. So February. that was like oh. right yeah, on the last... line. You were one of our very last guests before the pan before the shutdown. Yeah, so and we were, you know, we were a couple months away from the show because it wasn't until mid March where the decision was made to move it to November. Things so were looking ago. very different then. I mean, well, we had some off air conversations as well, and I was just like, things are gonna, it's gonna be so cool. And then the pandemic happened, and wow. Just yeah, we actually had some amazing ideas, which I don't think I could talk to you about back then for the live show and some really fun, fun things we were going to be doing and um, which we had gotten ready. They were teed up and ready to go. And then we, we pivoted, as they say. Yeah, well, let's we might as well transition into talking about that. So, Joel, you had returned to be your big glorious return specifically for a live broadcast. That was the big thing about the 2020 ceremony was that it was going to be completely live, straight to HBO Max. That must have been <laughs> exciting, like the, the prospect of that. Absolutely. I think, you know, listen, I, I think that helped maybe help them sort of, uh, you know, reach out to me. You know, they didn't just call me up and say, hey, do you want to come back? They called up and said, do you want to come in and talk about? You know, before, before I came in to sort of share some of my thoughts and ideas, they said, really important this year, HBO would like to try this, doing the show live which is a daunting idea for anybody like myself who's done the show before and knows how hard it is to manage some of these artists, 
to keep their speeches shorter, uh, both the presentation speeches, the acceptance speeches, the musical performances. We really never had to worry about that because it all sort of, we let people sort of do what they do, you know, gave them carte blanche almost. Um, and then we sort of tightened it up in the edit room. And, yes. uh, but I was up for it and I had some good ideas, I thought, for it and presented them. And they said, all right, you're coming back. And I was excited to make my big comeback to do this first ever live show of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But, Which was a wild and risky move. I yeah. mean, we were shocked by the idea of doing a live ceremony. Yeah. I, it is interesting because normally you do a live ceremony because you don't want it to leak out who won awards, you know, like on shows like yeah. the Grammys or the Oscars or the Golden Globes. They would never pre-tape the show and edit it because people tune in for the winners. In our case, yeah. everybody already knows the winners because we announce them months before so the motivation to go live doesn't make total logical sense but it was more just for the immediacy of it the fact that we create an environment where anything can happen some spontaneous musical moments some spontaneous speeches things like that hbo wanted it not to be sort of overexposed already in the press in the media for weeks because usually the show airs like three four weeks after the taping and, mm -hmm. and now with social media and so much so much of that out there, it's impossible to keep anything really, uh, you know, exclusive for the actual broadcast. So I understand their logic, why it was important for them to go live. And you mentioned that you came to this meeting with some ideas that they liked yes. for how to do it. What were some of those ideas? Well, I could tell you one of my favorite ideas, which they didn't accept because it was too expensive, Okay, uh, was, uh, well, actually, they were okay with half, half the idea, which was, you know, one of the mandates was how do we get the show to skew a little bit younger? You know, how do we get this to not just be our father and grandfather's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but we, let's get the kids involved too. Let's make it for every generation. So the idea would be uh, we had six inductees. So let's open with a big, a big uh, six song medley with a house band. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we could t I think we could say this, Rick. We had Weezer lined up to be our house band. And, uh, and then we would have a younger artist represent each of the inductees uh, to perform part of one of their biggest songs. You know, we had Miley Cyrus to do a Nine Inch Nails song. We had, we had uh, Billy Idol and Billy Joe Armstrong were gonna do T-Rex. We had uh, Lauren Mayberry from Churches was gonna do Depeche Mode. Right. Weezer was gonna do the Doobies. Judd Apatow was gonna do the Doobie. No, no. <laughs> but, but the, the idea was gonna be <laughs> this. They're thing. still working on Whitney and Biggie. And Biggie when we ended up having to pull back. But what I wanted to do is not stage it on our stage. I wanted to, I wanted to stay, I wanted to put a stage outside the museum. So we'd really open up with a bang, like, hey, here we are in Cleveland. Here's the museum, which you barely ever see on these broadcasts anyway, which looks beautiful from the outside and get a packed crowd in there and light it and get all the cameras and, and do this beautiful opening, exciting live performance before we even take you inside the public hall for the rest of the show. And they love the idea, don't get me wrong. They didn't, it's not like they didn't like the idea, but when we put the, the numbers to it, it's, it was a very expensive proposition to do it. In fact, we started thinking, well, maybe we'll do it the day before, so it's not live, but we'll roll it in like it is live. But even that really didn't bring the cost down. So we started you know, planning for it still, but literally on our stage, which we were gonna have a turntable stage, which we'd have to have uh, to make the stage changes Quick, oh, yeah, that's for thing. a live show, yeah. Yeah, that's the one other thing I, I wanted to point out is when you when these people do live shows on the networks, they have four to five minute commercial breaks to get ready for the next segment. 
We don't have that on HBO. There's no commercials. Yeah. So it's going to be doubly dangerous. Got to roll those packages. That's where yeah. the packages come yeah. in. <laughs> packages are like our commercials, but but in the format of the show, it's really not like that because although we were going to make it like that in a sense, so. We'll see what happens with next year's show. We're going to go live again. That does sound exciting and good, and I don't like anything. So uh, it's really... <laughs> you want her over. <laughs> it's such a shame that the budget was... And also, you know, that... Well, well, the show, didn't, the, show, pandemic, the, show, but... yeah, the show didn't happen anyway. The other, the other new idea that I had pitched that we... Well, maybe we were going to get a few of them, but, you know, I, I think it's still an idea for the future, is to open each segment not with the film and not with the presenter, but with a whole nother artist sort of paying tribute. Like we had this idea of the, uh, for the Doobie Brothers segment to have the Dixie Chicks come on and do sort of a, their version of Black Water. We thought they'd be perfect for that. And that's sort of how you get into the segment. Like let's mm -hmm. hear a modern interpretation by a contemporary artist. Uh, and they were, they were reuniting, they were coming out with a new record. So we thought maybe the timing of that would have been good. And we, we explored doing that for other artists also, uh, but then we ended up, uh, again, with the pandemic happened, uh, we didn't really pursue that idea either. But that was just another idea we were floating around. Just Because in the past, the show is presenter, inductee. Inductee performs sometimes with the presenter. And so we were saying, okay, that's great. We, we have a nice mix of talent there, but how do we get even more? And that's why the idea of the opening number with six other artists that we wouldn't have booked, a cold open maybe to each segment with another artist we normally wouldn't book, trying to get as many different artists from different genres of music and different that appeal to different demographics. We were trying to, you know, pack it with as much variety as possible. Yeah. But what about letting the bassist talk for 25 minutes? Yes. That's okay. We were addressing that by, by trying to not allow any bassists to talk <laughs> on the show. Okay. The, the bassists are cut. Right. Well, this particular year, think about this particular year. First of all, you had three of our six inductees, music inductees were deceased. Mm -hmm. So we were going to have, you know, one family member obviously represent them. Nine Inch Nails, obviously everybody knows Trent Reznor is the driving force and the creative force on that show. So he was, even though a lot of the other art, a lot of the other members, including bass players, would be inducted, Trent was only going to be the one to speak. Depeche Mode, we were going to have uh, the three main guys, Fletch and uh, and uh, Dave and Martin. Dave and Martin. Thank you. Yeah, at some point, I do also want to talk about their delightful acceptance yeah. in the. Sure. Um, well, yeah, we'll, we'll the, get to that. In the and, and, ceremony and the, and the that was, but and the Doobies, which have like nine inductees, including a, uh, you know um, the original bass player, uh, yeah. they we they agreed, and we said also the same thing. Let's have the the three main guys that wrote most of the music uh, and, and were the front men for most of the time, which was Tom, Pat, and Michael. And, uh, and they would acknowledge the rest of the band. And the rest of the band could have been there. In fact, they would have been, were going to be there. Certainly, yeah. Big performance. We were definitely going to knock down the chances of tremendously long acceptance speeches. <laughs> right. But I also imagine Diddy was on lock for the speech for Biggie, which is a, yeah. a huge question mark because we know That's that guy likes to go long. Well, you know, he does. But as you saw in the, uh, in the version, the documentary version of the show, he actually went too short. He really did. It was actually perfect, but I couldn't believe it because, you know, we had done like an outline with him. He had approved it. And he said he was going to wing it a little bit. I fully expected him to go three, four minutes and maybe we'd have to trim it a little bit. And uh, it was like exactly a minute. That's all he gave us. 
but it was right, it was good. But you're right, in front of a live audience, could he have gone for 15, 20 minutes? Possibly. Yeah, that's the other thing. All these people getting in front of live audiences, getting that crowd juice in them. Oh boy, I'm just like, you're gonna have another Springsteen on your hands. It's gonna go for a half an hour. (laughs) Like, it's just I mean, literally Springsteen was on hand to induct John Landau, I'm sure. Yeah, we for John Landau and Irving, we didn't really make it like inductions, so to speak, because um, they were the non-musical inductees. We wanted Springsteen and Henley to be sort of the main people in their films, which they were. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, they both closed the films by saying, welcoming them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They didn't really do that opening speech like we did with the other six. Do you mean that even in a live ceremony, their inductions would have been relatively the same, mostly film-focused? No, no, no. no, I'm sorry. In the live setting, yes, Springsteen and Henley would have been on stage doing the induction. Okay, yeah. And and Springsteen was told he had five minutes. And uh, I was told... told him he had three. I was told told he uh, he would oblige. So, but we never got that far. Right. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to think because also it had been advertised that this ceremony was going to be three hours, right? And usually a ceremony runs close closer to five. Right, the live the live ceremony runs closer to five, and then we edit it to three. Right. So our challenge was to how do we get the live show to three? On paper, I was at like two hours and forty eight minutes, so I felt like I had some pad and everything. But you yeah, know, was go. there going to be like a band on hand? Was Weezer going to play people off? You know, like no, I think I think Weezer Weezer was there just to do the opening number. Mm-hmm. We were going to have the Roots back up, you know, Whitney uh, Whitney tribute and a Biggie tribute, and then of course Nine Inch Nails, Depeche Mode, and Doobie, and Doobie Brothers were self contained. And T Rex, I think, were going to be backed up by Weezer, right? That's the other one that was going to be backed up by Weezer. Yeah. He's going to be like folded into the opening. Well, like, would the like, how would you cut someone off? You kind of can't, right? I think as we got closer to the show, which we never got that close, we would have come up with some kind of plan. But that early on in March, two months before the show, we really didn't have a plan yet. I was just feeling, you know, talking to each artist and uh, going with the honor system <laughs> was uh, was the way to go. Rick and I together would double team them and say, listen. You know, we understand you have a lot to say, but the other thing is these days, a lot of people now, you know, want to prepare their acceptance speeches anyway. So we would have seen it ahead of time. We would have known how long it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Will they be capable it's of adding Yeah. baby. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the possibility exists, but I think everybody understood it was our first year as a live telecast. And I don't think anybody wants to see a show go four or five hours, especially the ones going at the end of the night. And, uh, and, and even if you're going early in the show, you want to be courteous to your fellow artists. And I don't think uh, we were really worried about it, but yes. Notoriously courteous rock stars. <laughs> we had the year before, we had made, I think, a lot of progress by limiting the number of people that could speak. And mm-hmm. they didn't the year before that. You know, the, the Cure is just Robert Smith, and Roxy Music was just Brian Ferry, and you know, Def so, Leppard was uh, Joe Elliott, and yeah. It's not a year I produced, but I so I can have fun with this. But also, you had Bon Jovi speak for Bon Jovi, and he spoke for how long? He's still speaking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the whole band is still speaking, talking yes. about their bowling balls and. Oh, well, actually, the rest of the band did speak. They Even did. The they band absolutely did. did speak. That was 2018, and yeah, that they, was the year. Be- that was the year before. So I yeah. think because of that. Especially these Jersey, these Jersey guys. Yeah, these Jersey things. They like to talk. Can't shut up. It was the first year that I watched a ceremony. 
2018, I made Kristen watch. Oh, oh that's yeah. That's not a, a good way. That's not a good entree into the. No, no. it yeah. was not. It I was really rough. couldn't believe it. I was not happy. The fact that I'm still here is very wild in many regards. It set us back. I guess my big question then is so then when the pivot started coming down, all hell broke loose. What happened? Everybody was like, okay. November, you were still originally thinking it was going to be live originally, yes, right? Yes, yes. When we when we first postponed it, we thought, all right, we'll 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 reevaluate it in July. We picked the date with the artist schedules with Doobie's Nine Inch Depeche. We reached out to them to find a date that we thought they could in that time period that they all would be available. That's how that ca date came about. Yeah, it was an optimistic time. Yeah, it, it really was. We were all just people were postponing their weddings and that like, you know, just no see in three months, we thought maximum. So then you started planning the that live show. When did it change to you knew it was going to have to be virtual? Well, I think around, yeah, probably in July, there was a few conversations going on. Okay, in no particular order. One was, do we postpone the show till next year and slide the entire class of 2020? into 2021 and then slide them in 2021 to 2022, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that was one conversation. Another conversation was, can we do both shows next year? Can we do the 2020 show in the spring? This was Joe's, Joe's dream. That I think that would have been fun. Hoping was gonna happen. Yeah, it would have been like a, like a weekend of, of Rock Hall. I, it would have been like well, a- Well, well that's group. another idea. I'm saying there was two ideas. One was, do we do one show in the spring and one show in the fall? Oh, sure. And, another, and then another idea was like, do it all in the same week. You know, Man. like just like a total Rock and Roll Hall of Fame blowout kind of week. Hall of Fame week in Cleveland. Flight yeah. prices tripling, <laughs> hotels booked out. <laughs> HBO, you know, came back and said that that's that doing two shows, whether it's in a week or even within a year, was not an option. You know, budget-wise, you know, schedule-wise, all kinds of things. They said that yeah, we can only do one show, but you know, they still were open to us coming back to them with a new way of doing this year's show that would be pandemic-friendly. You know, and and that would still work. And that's when I just started thinking about this, you know, very simple idea of, of doing this you know, documentary approach. I mean, for me, the films have always been one of my favorite parts of the show. In fact, I'm, I used to be in you know, heated discussions, I don't wanna say heated, but definitely discussions with Jan and some of the executives at the Rock and Roll Fame about making the films longer you know, back in the heyday of, of doing the show. And they always kept pushing for them shorter because to them, it was all about the speeches. The speeches were, stars we of the show love it when the bass player gets up yeah. and tells some off-color jokes but keep in mind when the show started in 1986 until the year i did in 1993 so from 86 to, to 92 even though the shows had very limited exposure and visibility that show was all it was all speeches you know start to finish until the very end the very end paul shaver's band would be on stage and then unrehearsed you know, whoever was in, in the room for that show would get up, not everybody, but some would, and they would do great jams. Some would be really great, and some wouldn't be so great. But, but they would, that would be after four hours of speeches, literally. There would, be, there would be some packages, short, but the speeches were just the stars of the show. And it wasn't until when I took over in 93 where I convinced them to let's do music throughout the show. You know what I mean? Let's not wait till the end of the night. Yeah. Let's have Cream, when Cream gets inducted, let's have Cream perform. When, same thing for Etta James and same thing for, 
you know, everybody else that got inducted that year. Um, yeah. It's almost like uh, you said, let's produce it for television. Yeah. Even though it wasn't for TV yet, it was the precursor of like, let's pace it. So people have some, you know, you give them the speeches, you give them the packages, but also give them the music. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because I mean, four hours of speeches sounds like something that that's like, that's only for the people in the room. That's exactly what the show was. And I'm sure you've seen online some of the legendary speeches by, uh, you know, who was it from the Beach Boys? Was it Carl Wilson? Oh, or was Mike it Love. Brian? Mike, okay. Mike, Mike, Mike Love, Mike baby. Love. You, know, you know, and of course, uh, you know, <laughs> Phil Spector. Phil Spector's had some classics. So Quincy Jones was up there and not very sober. Uh, you know, and these people went on for a very long time, but it was fun for the people in the room. And uh, then we started, you know, again, producing it more, uh, not necessarily like a TV show, but just as a more pleasurable, enjoyable, well-paced event. So getting back to this year's show, the idea of doing it more as a documentary and really telling their stories from start to finish still would be, not, it wouldn't be like a 90-minute documentary you'd see on Netflix, but instead of a three-minute package, it would be like a 10 to 12-minute film where we'd really, you know, you'd watch this thing and go, well, if you're a fan, you'll love it because you'll reinforce all the things you love about the artist. And if you don't know the artist that much, you'll learn a lot. And hopefully you'll be like, wow, I'm glad I didn't realize. I didn't know that about Nine Inch Nails. I didn't know that about Biggie. We started thinking, well, what can we do to add value to that is like, let's get some of their fans. Other artists, sometimes celebrities, but mostly artists who are big fans of, of theirs and interview them and talk to them about why do you love Biggie, why do you love Nine Inch Nails? Why do you love, uh, you know, the Doobie Brothers, et cetera, Depeche Mode? Mm-hmm. That added some some level to it. And then obviously getting the, the person to introduce the film was sort of like our version of the presenter. And my initial thought, my initial idea, which didn't happen, was we would do it just like we did this show, where we'd have a, an in, somebody introduce the film who's like our presenter, and we'd do our 10-minute film. But then instead of the acceptance speech at their homes, uh, you know, more intimate acceptance speech, I, I, I imagine the acceptance speech to be sort of at a venue where they started or something, mm-hmm. where the band, like in Nine Inch Nails case, they'd be at the Agora Ballroom or someplace where they played in Cleveland. Trent would do his acceptance speech right there on the mic, and then they would just play, you know, one or two songs, even, the, even if it was an empty house. It would, be, it would have all the energy and all the grit, uh, you know, all the oomph of a Nine Inch Nails performance, and you'd get that live performance as the p- payoff of each segment, but again, as we thought about it, a lot of artists were, they weren't necessarily wanting to get on a plane. They still weren't sure mm-hmm. by November. They'd want to have their crew and everybody sort of working closely together, even with masks and things like that. Plus there was an expense, because now we're talking about, well, let's shoot Nine Inch Nails in Cleveland and let's shoot you know, the tribute to uh, Whitney in LA and let's shoot this thing in the UK with Depeche Mode, New York or, or the UK. So it just became, a lot of the artists were not, sure they can commit to that plus there was an expense involved so then we decided let's just do it full-on documentary you know the Trent Reznor's the Sissy Houston's on behalf of Whitney the Depeche Mode guys we would all do their acceptance speeches uh from wherever they are and and that's what we did uh let's take a quick break and then when we come back we'll talk more about how this special came to be and the transition from a live one to a pre-filmed one. So we will be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break. Hey, we hope you offered water to someone who could not take the request. All right, so (laughs) let's talk about 
you had to delay. At first, it was just a delay. It was, we're going to kick it to November. In that period from, say, March to July, were you guys still working on the show or did, did it feel tentative because you kind of had to wait and see for all these variables to see what was going to happen? Yeah, I think we had a lot of conversations and a lot of uh, discussions uh, about it. But, you know, I think my intention initially was going to be to start working on the packages anyway, like in April, Mm -hmm. March, actually end of March, April. That was my original intention, even though we knew the show was being postponed. We were already set up. I already had the producers lined up. We already had the editing, you know, facility lined up. Uh, But then I thought about it and uh, and I'm glad I I decided we just have to postpone everything because we just didn't know what shape the show would take in November. And uh, so we just sort of put everything on, on hold and, and Rick and I and, and the people at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like Joel Parisman and John Sykes and HBO, we just kept in touch and kept talking about it. But, uh, you know, our hope was still that the uh, pandemic would get under control. And, and by July, you know, at the latest August, we would, have a, we would know for sure that uh, we could do our show in November. But as it got closer and closer to that period of time, it got less and less likely instead of more and more likely. Mm -hmm. And you had booked beyond just the inducted artists. We had talked about Weezer being involved in a number of artists who had been locked into the uh, May date. So now are you talking to them about November or is that similarly you're just kind of tentative? No, no, no. We, we, you know, Rick can speak to this more, but we, we immediately you know, Rick reached out to all of them and gave them the new date because our intention was we're going to do a live show in November. Yeah, I mean, once we knew the date, we tried. And, you know, some of the some of the artists, like, for instance, Weezer, both with Weezer and with uh, Billy Joe, Weezer, Green Day, and Fall Out Boy had this... Had Massive this tour. Big, big tour over the summer that got canceled. They were still scheduled to be in Australia in November. So when we first reached out, they technically weren't available because they were going to be in Australia at the time of the show. But then... You know, maybe a month later, I got the call saying, hey, we are available now because Australia is not happening. But at that point, it started to become nothing's happening. Yeah, nothing's happening. So everybody was trying to make it work and wanted to still be uh, still be part of it. But as Joel said, as time went on, it just was becoming less likely instead of feeling Mm -hmm. more likely. Uh, and also the what you kind of revealed about, especially with that opening number, a lot of the artists that you mentioned wound up in the film special that aired. So I'm curious, I would like to go through each artist, and I understand some of it may not have been booked, maybe you just don't remember, but just so, just because I'm a completist and I'm overly thorough. This is just like such a Joe thing to be like, I would like to go one by one through all of the... Go for it, go for it. Uh, All right, so you talked about the opening would probably fold into the kind of T-Rex performance if I'm correct there, with Weezer. Well, I mean, what, what the, the opening, yeah, the opening uh, medley of all of the artists, you know, representing, you know, um, one song each. Yeah, it was going to open the show, and then we were going to, our first presentation was then going to be T-Rex. The medley would have closed with, a, with T-Rex, too. That's and, right. And you would not have probably gone back to do more T-Rex songs with Weezer, or would you have? Yes, we were going to do one more T-Rex. We were going to close the medley with T-Rex, then we were going to go to the T-Rex film, mm-hmm. um, or we were going to go to Billy Idol. I don't even remember anymore. Billy Idol was the presenter, 
and he would have done his talk, but the film probably would have been first because we wanted to separate the music. So we would have gone to the T-Rex film, and then uh, uh, Billy Idol uh, was going to do the speech to induct T-Rex, and then uh, T-Rex, you know, I think we, you know whether or not Roland was going to do the acceptance speech or not, I, I don't think we had 100% confirmed that, and then we would have followed that up with Billy Idol joining Billy Joe Armstrong with Weezer doing we were talking about, I think, doing Jeepster, maybe getting a female artist to get a female artist to join right. in as well. Just mm -hmm. always look for opportunities to bring more artists. Yeah, because we would have done, we would have done uh, obviously Bang 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 at the end of the Gong, yeah. So Jeepster, we felt like was the second biggest song in the states, and so we thought that would have been the right song to do. Okay, and then let's go to let's say the Doobie Brothers. You talked about maybe having the Dixie Chicks, although I know there had been a. The Chicks. The Chicks, excuse me. Yeah, uh, the, the artist formerly known as the Dixie Chicks. And I know they had a conflict with the May date because they had an album release, so that was not. But then maybe that was back on the table for November. Well, we, we, never, we definitely would have gone back to them if the show happened live, but we definitely, had, we definitely knew they couldn't do it in May. You mm -hmm. know, they, were, they, they were just not available to do it. Uh, so we, we actually explored other artists. I don't want to name all the people that couldn't do it. Nah, do it. Um, <laughs> or, or, or didn't want to do it or yeah. whatever. But definitely we had some other ideas that we went after. And uh, I don't think, I think if the show was pulled off in November live, it's possible we wouldn't have done that idea. But I still mm -hmm. like the idea. I think we would have found somebody. We would have found somebody, yeah. It was a good idea. And in terms of the speech, do you think potentially Luke Bryan or had you gotten yes. that far? Yeah, Rick already okay. had him confirmed. Yeah, Luke, was, Luke was already set to induct. So okay. Luke's role didn't really change except for doing it remotely. Uh, let's move on to Depeche Mode. Uh, we're, again, were we thinking uh, uh, for each of these artists, there's a, some sort of cold open type thing? That was the idea, but we never got far. I don't think we ever got close to uh, uh, somebody for Depeche Mode, did we? I don't think we did. Valley Churches? Well, she, she would have been in the opening. Oh, in the opening. We're going to do the opening. Yeah. We did have an idea about a certain big female artist to come do something very stripped down. Yeah. But she also had a conflict too, just... Yeah. Oh, St. Vincent, maybe. No, St. Vincent, Vincent was booked to do Nine Inch Nails, not to get ahead of ourselves, but she oh, was going to be the presenter. Yeah. Not just, so that would have been mode, so cool. we, we had, we, had uh, we were in discussions with Charlize to be the presenter, but she wasn't 100% confirmed yet when the show got postponed in, in May. Yeah, getting to Cleveland can be a challenge for some people. Yeah. Yeah, mentally. <laughs> Charlize was, was someone we knew was a big fan, and she was definitely interested. We just hadn't 100% confirmed her. Uh, but they seemed like they were very excited. Joe is really playing Fantasy Rock Hall right now. And I love it. This is, and I think I think our listeners will, will really enjoy it as oh, well. Oh, definitely. Uh, well, so, I mean, I'm like, oh, man, what could have been, you yeah. know? So you mentioned uh, St. Vincent was going, to be, was going to present the induction for Nine Inch Nails? Yes. Very cool. Uh, in addition to maybe a performance? Well, Nine Inch Nails was definitely going to do, do they were like three songs. Fun. Whether or not St. Vincent would have joined on one song, that was still a discussion that we usually get into much closer. No pun intended. Closer. <laughs> Closer. Got it. Ah. I'm just here to I'm just here to monitor the conversation and throw those little things in. <laughs> Rick, you're doing great. And I love it. I really just anytime you put you throw a little pun in there. Oh, I love it. Whitney? Yeah, Whitney, we had really a great lineup of people. We um we didn't we didn't have our presenter fully confirmed 
Well, Alicia couldn't do it. Alicia had a conflict. Right, Alicia had a conflict, but we didn't go back to her for November yet. Right. We, had, we were waiting to see. She wanted to do it, but couldn't do it in May, so I'm pretty sure she would have done it in November. But we did have 100% confirmed to perform. We had Jennifer Hudson, we had Ariana Grande, and we had her, all ready to do tributes to Whitney. We were going to do a three-song tribute. Oh, that's incredible. Yep, and the Roots was, were, would have been the band. Yeah, that oh, sounds wow. great. And then uh, Notorious B.I.G.? Notorious B.I.G., we had Puffy, as you know, to present, uh, and we knew we had the Roots as a band, but we did not necessarily have our artists confirmed. You know, obviously, we were trying to get Jay-Z, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we knew that was going to be a, a, a long shot, but we were trying, and uh, I don't think we ever got a full-on pass, but we certainly never got a full-on yes. So yeah, a full on tickets are booked. But, to but it was still two months before the show. So which is, you know, a ton of time that it, we mm -hmm. could have made it happen, maybe. But then the show got postponed. It's so hard about it not being yeah. in New York for that. Like that, that yeah. in particular, the Biggie induction and the Jay-Z. I also wonder, as I think about it now, maybe a younger rap artist would have done it. But a, a but a a, a legendary artist like Jay-Z, a, a, a very successful big time rap artist, something tells me, it's one thing when you cover a song, but when you cover somebody's rap and their, their unique style and delivery and things like that, even, I don't think you see that a lot on TV. You know, you don't see uh, many people doing covers of rap songs. We've seen uh, it at the Rock Hall a few times. Yeah. Yes, you have, but, mm -hmm. it, but I, I, don't, I don't know. Varying degrees of success. <laughs> I was about to say, yes, I know what we had, um, a little tribute to the Beastie Boys many, many years ago when I did it. Don't yeah. remind me, Joel. We'll, I have a hard time forgiving you for yes, some of I'm that. Yes, I'm sorry about we that. We'll move on. Okay. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing. Okay. Uh, well, the kid rock of it all. You said you weren't going to get into it, Kristen. Oh, so we're I'm not going to get into it. I'm getting mad. <laughs> At any rate, what it sounds like is there were a number of people that were not available that then suddenly became available when you pivoted to making the special this way. Like so Alicia Keys, now you can have involved. I have to imagine you tried to get Ringo for T-Rex, but now he can be involved. So there's, there's a silver yeah. lining to that. With well, there is because we're going to them, bringing one camera to their house, to their garage, to their backyard, you know, whatever. It's very easy and very convenient for them to do it, they don't have, as Rick said, they don't have to get on a plane and go to Cleveland. And it also allowed us to put a lot more, bring a lot more artists to the, to the marquee mm -hmm. because you have, I mean, depending on the films, some there was upwards of six or seven different artists added in. So when you look at the list of talent on the show, it's way greater than anything we've ever had because you just never had those, those opportunities for people like that before. When you were, so you were in a sense dispatching teams to go film uh, these people in their homes? Is, is that a, a correct way to? Well, it, 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 the correct way is like I, I had a producer who was in charge of each film. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, in, in many cases, I would be the one to do the interview and to oversee the shoot of the interviews that went along with it. And they would then take those interviews and then you know, with our research team, which we had a big research team, go through the archives and then sort of tell the story and piece it together in the edit. Mm -hmm. A lot of my producers are also editors, and, this, and the handful that aren't, we found really great editors for them to work with. But yes, we had eight different producers, actually seven, 
different producers doing uh, the films and I took on Biggie, you right. know, because it, truthfully, uh, I took on Biggie because my first choice who originally said he could do it, couldn't do it. And, and you know, and I was so uh, immersed in, in it at that moment and we found a great editor. So I sort of took ownership of that one. Uh, and, and, and again, for me, it was, a, it was a fantastic experience in the sense that I didn't really know a lot about Biggie other than, you know, Juicy and a couple of his big songs that everybody knew. But I didn't really, you know, know the whole story. So I, it was a great experience for me because I was learning as I went, you know? Well, Joel, and, I will yeah. tell you that is, was my favorite package of them all. That you was did a great job, yeah. Do of the docs. We, we, when we talked about it on the episode, I really loved all of the kind of archival footage of him as being so young. The stuff of him, you know, just like in a battle on the street and just He's 12. Kind of like <laughs> doing like slam poetry, essentially, like just too straight to camera. I mean, like there was some really great footage in that thing yeah. and it told a complete story about him. It just like really reminded you of what a legend he was, you know. And, and, and interesting, and it's so great that you say that. Thank you. And interesting enough, we had to make a last second edit in that film because we originally had uh, a little bit of the story of Biggie and Tupac in there. Um, but then we decided that uh, for a few reasons that we wanted to keep it on Biggie and on his music. We didn't want to use the Tupac story, which was a big part of his story, uh, to sort of take away, you know, this momentous moment of him being inducted into the Hall of Fame for his music and his contrib contribution to hip hop. Literally, there was a cut that was pretty much locked that had a good minute, minute 30 on the story of, you know, Tupac first getting shot and then the, the beef he had with Biggie and Biggie saying, you know, it wasn't, you know, I had nothing to do with it. And then, of course, Tupac got shot and then Biggie had to respond to that. I mean, then Tupac got killed. So we had that, we had a good 90 seconds of the film. Um, so the yeah, film actually I'm was longer. So when we cut that, the film was actually a little too short and we went back and beefed up a couple of the other areas. But, and I was worried about that. I was worried that people would miss that section, but apparently nobody missed it. No, we were very glad to not actually have, I was really glad to not have it focused too much actually on the circumstances of his death and kind of like his end of life stuff. I thought right. it really, I think you have to touch upon the tragic circumstances sure. of his death, but I'm glad that minute and a half got cut. I think that yeah, it was- I think that was wise. Call. That was a wise um, move uh, to highlight especially what you're celebrating. That yeah. We really also got the story of him coming up, his really hard youth, and then his selling drugs, his finding music, his first album being so much about like trying to break in, and then the second album being so much about now that I've got it, you know, everybody's coming for me. And I don't know, I thought it was a very good package. I really liked it. Um, love it. I love that you got everything that our goal was to accomplish. So thank you. Now I have some thoughts on some other, <laughs> other ones. <laughs> well, I, I, I am curious about, uh, I noticed you got Morgan Neville for yes. the Nine Inch Nails package. And, you know, that's a, a filmmaker, you know, who has won an Academy Award. And yes. Uh, I'm curious, also, the mechanism for that documentary was this interview. And I'm curious, how involved was Trent in his own package? And was that interview specifically created? Was that a Morgan idea? Do you have any thoughts? I know you didn't produce that one specifically. Well, well, yeah, I was involved with it. But yes, it was, it was Morgan and Trent. I, I, first of all, Trent is the one that had the relationship with Morgan 
and reached out to Morgan. I, I mean, either Trent or Trent's managers on behalf of Trent, you know, they reached out to Morgan and, and luckily Morgan was available and wanted to do it. So that's, that's how that happened. And yes, I, I, although I'm not privy to the conversations, I'm quite sure that Morgan and Trent talked about the approach creatively ahead of time. Mm -hmm. um, and whether or not the interview with Trent was Trent's idea or Morgan's idea or was a collaboration, I can't say for sure, but it was definitely the two of them were obviously the driving force and Trent was definitely involved. Uh, right. You know, all the artists, by the way, were involved in their films, some more than others, and Trent probably more than all of them. You know what I mean? He really uh, took an interest in, in making sure that the story was presented a certain way. And, uh, and I thought it worked really well. When you are sending out, you know, your, your production teams to interview the artists, it's, you did a really good job, I think, with you, you lit everyone great. Like, it doesn't look cheap the way that, you know, a lot of the pandemic content right. has. Yeah, we didn't do it. On, we didn't do it on iPhones. We actually had cameras. We had our camera crews all tested ahead of time, mm -hmm. and wearing wearing masks. And we did. We followed all the protocols. Yeah, and it it, it comes across on screen. And uh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Joel actually did the interviews via Zoom. So that was going to be my question. Was, yeah. 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 So you were like on an iPad or? Yeah, I was on my computer just like right now. And my, I, you know, I had pretty much three DPs I was using. You know, obviously there's a few extra ones, but one in LA, one in New York, one in Nashville. And, uh, and we have uh, a device, I forgot what it's called, that they would hook up the cameras. And somehow through the Zoom, like we're doing right now, I was able to see a lot of these interviews were shot with two cameras. So I'd see both cameras. I hear everything great. And, uh, and then I would ask the questions. And they would, see, they would, they would sort of put me uh, on an iPad or, or a laptop on a stand so when you see their eye line it's almost like i'm there mm -hmm. they're talking to me but they're really just talking to my face this on computer it's like the errol morris in Terratron, if anybody <laughs> knows what i'm talking about yes i do uh, and with you mentioned you had you know, nashville los angeles new york were, were depeche mode the only people who were not kind of covered by that spread they're clearly talking. I was curious about the setup to have them talk to each other. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, well, in the actual body of the film, obviously, we filmed a lot of the people like Billy Gibbons in mm -hmm. L.A. And, and Lauren in L.A. And um, Wynn was in, Wynn Butler was in New Orleans. Yeah, Wynn Butler was in New Orleans. We had to find a DP there. And so we were, for those films, then, of course, during the film, any bites from uh, Dave Martin or Fletch were archival. We mm -hmm. didn't do any new interviews. We didn't do new interviews really with anybody, except right. for really Trent. And on Trent, you just really heard his voice. Yeah. As far as as far as the artists that are being inducted, because we knew we were going to see them as uh, during their yeah. My, my eye the definitely Pat detected a lot of behind the music footage. Yeah, unfortunately, we had to use that, but it, a lot of it was good. No, it's good. I mean, yeah, I don't think yeah. it's unfortunately. I think it's yeah. Not everybody like remembers everything that ever happened on a behind the music. Yeah, I'm and just so for many people, yes. it was just like a nice reminder of something they had yeah. maybe forgotten. For I would say the average person, you might say that that was the case. Depending on your um, but, to answer, but to answer your question about Depeche Mode, that was their idea. The band, you know, originally, like I, you know, you saw how we did the Doobie Brothers, which was more separate. You know, we did. We mm -hmm. shot Tom, we shot Pat, we saw, shot Michael. But these guys, the three guys, they wanted to have some fun. They wanted to try to do it together. So we figured out how to do this sort of enhanced Zoom feed that we were able to uh, somehow pull off. Two of the three guys are not mo the most technically proficient. So we had to really walk them through how to make this work 
and it worked. I know which one. Uh, <laughs> it was that was another team. Now we're only. I'm not. I haven't even said my criticisms. Yeah. It's, it was a highlight. That's it was infectious. That I loved. Yeah. They, because it was very spontaneous yeah. feeling, because they were all talking to each other, they were clearly having a good time. They clearly did not do multiple takes. They, That's you correct. know, I just like that it was all kept in because yeah. it actually had a bit of the spirit of the live show in yeah. a way, because they're clearly all friends. They like to give each other shit. They're getting on in years and they like to rib each other about it. Like he's reading from the thing. He's <laughs> in the weird backdrop and like they're interrupting each other it's very cute it was very endearing i was yeah. like i'm so glad they didn't polish this at all i yeah. and it also was one of the parts about the show that i think is like a time capsule like we're gonna look back if we make it through all of this, we're gonna look back and be like, oh, that is so 2020 yeah. that these three guys are in a little triple zoom screen talking to each other. Like, the, yeah. I really liked that part a lot. Good. It was yeah. very well done. That was LA, New York, and London all. You know, they were, they were, those guys were all spread out. Oh, wow. It was so cute. Yeah. They seemed like they were, I was like, why aren't they all in a room together? Like, these guys are a pod. That's the reason why they couldn't be, as yeah. Rick pointed out. They're all too far away. I actually did trim some of it out because it was too long, but, uh, but I, we left all the best stuff in. Now, if Good. you cut all of the non-performer uh, inductions, I would not be angry. I would be very happy. I never need to see another package about somebody who made a bunch of money in the music industry and how they did it. I don't care. Um, Irving Azoff and John Landau. I am es yes. especially talking about that. The, you know. Well, look, they, uh, they contribute in a different way. And obviously from, from the film, we're hoping that people would see why they're being inducted to the Hall of Fame and why they're important parts of the puzzle. And, uh, you know, as far as they're not musicians, uh, but as Don Henley says, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that the Hall of Fame inducted someone who couldn't play or, or an instrument or sing. Yeah. You know, so it was a great opening line. I already had, I was already annoyed by them getting in because I was just like, this is not what we, literally, this is not what we need. It's also this very much, it's a pat on the back, given their connection to the hall. But also, this is no criticism of yeah. you guys, because oh, you no. don't get to the, choose who you yeah. have to cover. And also, I thought that their packages, I just was like, oh, this is really telling me more that Irving Azoff is an asshole. <laughs> and you can tell. And, uh, you know... That's, I guess, his thing. Um, and I, I look at him more as a chemo if he was a badass than an asshole. But okay. Sure. That's okay. The guy who fights, for, who fights very hard for his artists. And he's actually done a lot of, you know, you don't want to be on his bad side, but he's yeah. done a lot of good. Yeah. One Art, person's right. badass is another person's asshole. I mean, I get that. You know, he may be an asshole, but he's my asshole. I definitely feel yeah. that from a lot of his artists, you know, mm -hmm. like I get it. But I'm also like, do we need to be celebrating that mm, to me? No. Well, normally, normally in a normal year, which there never really is, there's usually only one of those type of Ahmed Erdogan uh, recipients. But this year, two got in. So uh, we we got we in. Got in. Who voted on that? Was that like a big? <laughs> it's almost thing like there was no real hmm. voting process. Oh, that, that's got a question in. for Rick Rim. I, I can't answer that. <laughs> Rick, Rick's lips seem very tight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I I, 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 I I think that you know, 
however they got it there. I, I actually, and I'm all seriousness, feel like they're both very deserving, much like yeah. if it's the baseball Hall of Fame, you know, owners and managers have gotten in. It's not just the players and they both contribute. If, if you're going to recognize people that aren't musicians, they are, they are very, that are from the business side, they're, they've contributed and are both very worthy. And there's plenty, there's plenty of others too that should be considered in the same way. It's just a sticking point for Sticking me. point for you. For the record, I have no major qualms with it for either of these two very powerful people. And I, and I actually enjoyed both. All right, Joe. Joe's still trying to get on the nomcom. He's trying to get a ballot over here. Yeah, I think I think, Ir I think Irving's was funny. Yeah, Joe Walsh being funny. Yeah, Don Henley being funny. Yeah, oh, Joe Walsh is always a welcome addition. Oh, yeah. I, this is Ooh, also we should ask about that. On... That was new footage, right, of Joe Walsh? Actually not. It was, uh, we found that footage. Uh, he had done a, I can't remember exactly what it was, but Irving had done some kind of conference or something. He was being honored. It wasn't for television, obviously. It was just uh, something yeah. that they had uh, in their own internal archives. And so it was brought to my attention. It, was only, it wasn't recorded that long ago, only a couple years ago. Uh, and this stuff was just perfect. So I sent it to John Bendis, who was the guy that produced the film for Irving, and he, of course, wanted to use it. So it sort of appears like Walsh did it just for us, but Walsh had actually already done it. So secrets Ooh. out. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the way he's talking, it's like, oh, this is an induction. But the way yeah. it looks, you're like, what is happening here? Well, he was outside, which a lot of people for the pandemic like to be outside. Yeah. yeah. So that made sense. But uh, yeah, he, yeah he, it was some other thing that Irving was being honored for, maybe a Music Cares thing or something like that, that wasn't that long ago that it just fit perfectly. Speaking of parts of the ceremony, uh, parts of the induction that maybe have questionable relevance, uh, was there ever any thought of putting in this very strange singles category into this induction? So this is something that has, Joel, uh, you know, it happened while you were gone. I like to believe if you had still been around, the singles category would have been snuffed. But I looked on the website. I didn't even tell you this, Kristen. They this did is not what I thought you were going to talk about. By the way, well, I'm always I'm always going off we about the singles about category. The stupid singles category. They it's did. Gone. We they know it's gone. Kristen, they inducted what? they inducted some singles this year and then just put it on the website. No. And, yes, they did. No. Right. I think they did, right? Time is on my no. side. Maybe. I don't even know if they did that. Yeah, they did. And like Shotgun by Junior Walker. Yeah, uh, those are the ones. Yeah. They were, there was going to be five songs inducted if we had the show live in May or live in November. I could not uh, talk them out of it. I did, <laughs> I, did, I did have some discussions about which songs they were and why and this and that. But we were going to try to minimize it and make it as, uh, as tightly produced as possible. But it was never a discussion to have that included in this show. Thankfully, I didn't have to push back on it because it never really came up. Yeah. Because it's just like a nothing thing that Lil Steven has decided is like, he just puts five songs in every year, no problem. Well, no, there's more no to discussion. it. There's more to it. He wants to, he wants to, he's trying to honor the artists that made those songs that never, don't have the body of work that will ever get him into the Hall of Fame. But they have- Like the Isley Brothers? Or like Procol Harum, who, who <laughs> got in for Wire Shade of Pale but maybe they won't get in for the other songs they did or something, you know. We love the idea of the singles category. This is so wild that yeah. I have a stupid yeah, opinion about this. Yeah, go off, go off, Kristen. I very annoyed. <sighs> but the, the big sticking point. We love the idea of the singles category, but Joe. They, they inducted oh, Twist oh. and Shout by the Isley Brothers. And so it's like, well, there goes the premise. 
If it's supposed to be artists that aren't inducted, then you it put an Isley Brothers. Okay. Well, then at that point, and then it also doesn't seem that he's really. Well, why, why does that get rid of the premise? The Isley Brothers are not in, are they? Yes, they are. Yes. <laughs> they got in a long time ago. Oh, then that's the premise is completely gone. Then. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Did they induct the Beatles version or they inducted the, the Isley Brothers they version? The, the original version. Yeah. Probably well, maybe, they changed, maybe they changed the premise. Was that the first year? It was the second year. This was the second year. Well, then I'm, the I'm dumbfounded. Year. I'm dumbfounded because that's what they told me. Exactly. So it kind of just it, seems I, 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 it, that that concern was raised, but um, yeah, <laughs> preaching to the converted. <laughs> yeah, I just it just also feels a little unilateral in terms of Little Stevens' involvement, and like maybe if you included more people who had a consensus, and there was a little bit more of a, a focus versus just sure. what Little Steven but wants it, to kind of do. Yeah, off the why, why not put Why not put uh, ten or fifteen songs on the ballot? Like you put ten or fifteen artists on the ballot, and then and pick the top five songs by the committee. Yeah, Joel and I riffed on other songs that we felt. Oh, sure. We did an oh, episode that was just a draft where we drafted what we thought would be good. And then almost none of them have been inducted. Right. I also think it would be nice if you could actually invite the artists who get inducted, which it seems well, like you know, something depending on which songs get in. We probably would consider that. But, you know, a lot of times we're talking about artists that are deceased or, or super old that are retired. Mm -hmm. But if they're thriving artists that are still playing, it would be cool to have them perform. Here's my pitch is that you do a separate, almost like creative arts Emmys on a separate night, just of the singles, you invite some of the artists, maybe you and have the a- non-performers. I well, think I mean, you that's do it the maybe, but, and the non-performers. But you, you do it in Cleveland, you have like, and it's for charity and it's like a fun event where you can invite some of these artists, if they're still touring, you can invite like maybe some great cover bands or whatever and you just, you have like a little local. bit of a night maybe local artists and do it in Cleveland always. And then you do all the singles on one night. And then you, like you do with the Emmys, you edit like a 30, 45 second recap right. of what had happened. So you don't have to waste too much time on it. And you could take the time to actually honor the songs, play them, and then maybe have the artists there as well. That's my pitch. I know you guys aren't necessarily involved or making those. Oh, no, listen, we're, we're involved and, and certainly we, we could, uh, Consider it. I, I just don't think we'll ever, we, we would never want to do like cover bands or something like that would have to be real established artists, you know, and, and also I don't think it has to be in Cleveland. It should be in the city that the show's in. So if the show's in New York, then the pre-ceremony should also be in New York, you know, if, it, if, it, if we're going to tie them all together. Yeah. You know what I mean, but since the show every other year seems to be in Cleveland, most years it'll be in Cleveland and then uh, maybe there'll be a time in the future the show will be in LA again, but uh, we shall see. But Listen, I think I think it needs to be rethought and rediscussed because, like I said, I, I really was just scratching the surface of how we were going to present it when the show got postponed. So we'll see what happens. But uh, duly noted, your suggestions yeah. are duly noted. What songs got in this year then? I'm hearing what? what it was Shotgun what by in? Junior Walker. In the All-Stars, it was... Right. Um, it was the, original, the original version of Time is on My Side, the Rolling Stones version, but the original woman that sang it, it's slipping my mind yeah. who that Irma, is. Irma Thomas, is that her name? Yes, that is correct. Yes. Irma Thomas, uh, that was another song. Wild Thing by the Trogs. Yeah. Which, why we, didn't... The, anyway, what... That, that's like such a slam dunk for the singles category. Like, yeah. We are, we are two years running without the, the alleged singles category even making it to the broadcast. So does it exist? Anyway, uh, my, my other pitch is maybe next year for the opening... 
invite one of the artists who didn't get to perform at 2020. Maybe have Nine Inch Nails Rick, open Rick, the ceremony. Rick and, I, Rick and I have talked about that uh, numerous times, and we've talked about it with the board, and we haven't talked about it recently, That because you know, it was be, even before we knew exactly how this documentary version of the show would turn out, and before we knew that people would you know, respond to it as favorably as they have, um, we did talk about, even though next year is, is going to be the year for the 2021 inductees, it would be cool to invite at least the three artists that are, mm -hmm. are still with us, you know, Depeche Mode, Nine Inch Nails, and the Doobie Brothers, to have a moment, you know, on our stage uh, and let them perform live. We don't have to, we're not going to present them with awards again, we're not going to do a speech again, we're not mm -hmm. going to do a film again, but somehow figure out a way to organically include them in the show, especially if we go to this bigger venue in Cleveland, to know yeah. that in, in addition to next year's inductees, that we're also going to have Depeche Mode, Nine Inch Nails, and Doobie Brothers do live performances that would be together they all cover closer <laughs> everybody yeah. all three of those bands together yes. as a mashup group doing closer into listen to the music that would that would be a nice meaningful thing <laughs> but i, I yes, here's I the go. thing we definitely will bring it up i don't know if we'll do it but we'll bring it up and, and, and also we don't know for sure if the bands will want to do it because by next october they're going to maybe think it's uncomfortable it might be awkward for them you know, on a night where six other artists are being inducted, why are they performing? But maybe they well, won't do it. And they've been living the high life already in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for a whole year. Yeah, I don't know. They're, will they want to go to Cleveland? I mean, it depends on where they're at with sure. their, in their heads and their tour. Is there, will there mm -hmm. be touring next fall? We just don't know what's going to be next fall. Hopefully everything will be fine. Yeah. Speaking of fall, the induction is now a November event. Uh, this year, it was November 7th, and I know you talked about trying to align those bands' touring schedules to see that they were available. At any point, did you guys think about the <laughs> presidential election? <laughs> no. I mean, we did after the, after the date was locked, we started thinking about it, but... <laughs> when it came out, I was like, wow, that is very close to the date. Yeah, but it was but it was four days after, and who knew that? Uh, who could have predicted that we still won't know who the president of the United States is? I mean, we know, yeah. but almost to the hour, it was perfectly fucked up because <laughs> Biden and Harris were scheduled to give their speeches like I think the exact it's same hour that it was Eastern yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, Eastern. <laughs> oh was, man it's just i texted i texted joe that morning i said hey joe who cares about the rock hall good thing it wasn't a live show it's like right yeah, yeah. oh my god truly i mean I, it's really remarkable that there would be an induction ceremony that would come out and me number one super fan would not watch it immediately <laughs> something but really massive has like to be happening it sounds like you guys say that it's been doing well and you've gotten a really positive response to it. It's yes, extremely across the, across the board. People love the, love the format and people are just still discovering it. So I think because of, again, because it's on HBO and HBO Max, you can watch it anytime. And the, the reviews were really positive afterwards. I mean, I got a bunch of, I got some like the next day, I got some emails, but I've gotten a lot more in the last you frankly this week than I got last week about it. So people are hearing about it, hearing the buzz, going and watching it. And I think it, from a personal experience, for me, it, it holds up much better over watching multiple times. I've seen it now mm -hmm. start to finish half a dozen times at least. 
and I can't say I, the other sh the live show I ever watched that many times start to I'm not Joe I would not I could not do that <laughs> but then it, uh, you know after once or twice I was good or I start fast forwarding through certain parts that mm -hmm. I don't I don't think there's a dead spot for me I think Joel did an amazing job uh, and his team of producers and uh, there's great stories each of these artists has a great story and they were told really well in 10 to 11 minutes you have a lot better chance to tell a story than two to three minutes Absolutely. And I found going back to the to watching it and watching different parts, it is very easily I mean, the induction ceremonies have always kind of been like this to some extent, but to just, you know, a la carte, watch the different parts is is very enjoyable, even for me, maybe even more enjoyable because you can just you can go in and get like your 10 or 12 minutes of Depeche Mode. And it's not like you've just been watching a bunch in a row. Uh, I, it's uh, and also to be on HBO Max. You know, it's almost like it's on Netflix now. It's not like you have to have an HBO account. It's now on a streaming service. And I think that gets a lot of eyeballs to it. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Rick, uh, yeah. any news on when you guys are going to be meeting up next? Um, early in the new year. Sure. It yeah. might have to be virtual. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that's going to be the case. I don't yeah. see it all uh, getting 30 people around a, around a table in, our, in a room together. So. In a, in Especially a park when outside. everybody takes one yeah. bite of a giant sandwich that's not very pandemic friendly. I hope they actually send sandwiches to everybody via they, mates or something, you know, because those are good, good sandwiches. It's part of the process. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, it's going to be uh, probably in um, like January, February. Around, maybe inauguration day. There you go. Keep it presidential. That's what the Rock Hall is all about now, I guess. <laughs> they'll release it at the exact same, they'll, they'll have the meeting at the exact same time that the swearing in is happening. Mm -hmm. Perfect. It, it would only be appropriate. Well, you guys did a great job with the induction special. Uh, congrats to you both. I hope it's weird to say this, but I hope you never have to do it again this way. I think with your hands tied, you pulled something off that was really great uh, and extremely rewatchable. Uh, but let's hope we can get back to the induction ceremonies as we know them, but now with a new, with a new live Joel Gallon twist. Uh, yeah, Joel's back. Joel is hey, back, all right? Hey, listen, I don't, have a, I don't have a contract for next year yet, but if they want me back, I'll be back. All right, Again. I'll go in there. I'll I'll <laughs> I'll you. ruffle some feathers. I'll I'll shake I'll shake some trees. We'll we're gonna make it happen. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's I think it's Halloween next year, right, Rick, or the day before Halloween? Yes, I think that's the plan. October thirtieth is when we're gonna shoot it. It's still up in the air if we're gonna do it live or taped, uh, but I'm sure there'll be a big uh, push from HBO to do it live. Uh, well, thank you guys again for doing the show. I don't know if you guys have anything you would like to plug that you've got coming out uh usually we talk to comedian friends of mine who have dates and stuff but uh joel you got anything coming up that you want to plug um not really i mean i have some things coming up but i don't i don't need to plug them rick and i are going to go on tour and do a speaking tour oh perfect to do this is inspired by this show <laughs> yeah we're going to just talk about the behind the scenes of the rock and roll hall of fame and i'll so be the, the moderator Yes, you'll be the moderator. Yes. Perfect. And well, I'll be the heckler. Yeah. <laughs> there, we've got it all. <laughs> now all, yeah. now it all we need itself. is for live events to be a reality again. I just, my plug would be to get people to go, if you haven't watched the ceremony, go watch the ceremony. Um, and mm -hmm. another plug, there's another, another documentary that I was involved in that's near and dear to me, which is called I Want My MTV. Uh, yes. Which is the story of the first 
years of MTV and about the first 10 years and how it all started that premiered on A&E back in uh, September, which you can, I think if you look really hard, you can find it on, uh, on VOD. I think it's on uh, iTunes and Fandango and some other things, but it's another, uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're searching for nostalgia and some great music history, it's a really good film about uh, MTV and its impact on culture. I bet if you're a fan of this show that you would enjoy that documentary. All right. Well, uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can email us rockhallpod at gmail.com. If you want Kristen to see that, you need to designate that somewhere in your message. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rockhallpod. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us. Five stars only. No reason for doing a review that's not five stars. That would be cruel. Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music. And thank you to Pantheon Podcast for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares? About the Rock Hall. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.